Welcome to this series of podcasts for FinTech CTO Club, a community where tech executives learn and share best leadership practices. Here, Vasil Soloschuk, CEO of Insart and the author of FinTech CTO Club, will discuss burning topics on the FinTech product development arena with the technical leaders in the industry. Today it's episode 11 of our podcast. We are going to talk with David Wallace, CTO at Greenfire, that automates and streamlines payments for the clinical trial industry. We're having an interview for FinTech CTO Club uh, with uh, David Wallace, who is the CTO of Greenfire. And uh, so actually my very first question, so David, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your uh, background in technological roles and actually what's, what's your current role uh, in more details? Great, yeah, so thank you for having me. So my name is David Wallace. I am the Chief Technology Officer here at Greenfire. Uh, I've been here about seven and a half years, uh, uh, part of the growth uh, of, the, of the Greenfire organization. Uh, when I started here, we had uh, less than five uh, IT or engineering uh, in my department, and we have well over uh, 40 or 50 at this time. So um, it's been a great uh, growth opportunity for me and to be a part of. Uh, uh, with my with the, the management team as well as the engineering team. So I come from a uh, uh, originally was a software developer and came up in uh, in the IBM mainframe days. Um, moved over to networks as uh, they became more and more popular, uh, and uh, really then moved, started focusing on the data center side of uh, of organizations back when everybody had large data centers or rated, rented out large spaces for data centers. And as things moved towards the cloud, uh, I migrated my career into more of the uh, architecture and engineering side of it with the infrastructure and uh, had an opportunity about seven and a half years ago to join Greenfire. They provided me that opportunity to join and, and lead the overall strategy of our, our technical solution. So I've really enjoyed it and uh, continue to uh, keep me challenged every day. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the answer. So actually, my next question is about the challenges that you face during your role. So it's uh, very interesting to learn about, you know, when you started, you have a smaller team, now you have a larger team. So probably this, uh, you know, these challenges uh, were a little bit different, like maybe a few years ago and now. So if you can explain what what were your challenges in the beginning of your role, in the start of your role, and uh, what are the major major challenges at the moment that you need to solve. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, the challenges we have today are, you know, definitely different than the challenges I had five, six, seven years ago. You know, when I came on board seven years ago, it was really creating the culture, creating the SDLC, creating training. Um, how do we want to do it? What is our stack going to be? How are we going to scale? Things like that. So, really, um, putting the foundation in place of a uh, growing company's engineering uh, department. Um, today, we still have growing pains because we are continuously to grow at a high, ramp, uh, high rate, um, but our, our challenges are slightly different. We have a foundation. Now our challenges are more continuous improvement, you know, needing for scope and estimation and ROI, 
process improvement. Uh, dealing with changing priorities because of uh, uh, because potentially they're coming from our customers, or it's for uh, expanding our products, or it's going to new products. And how do we manage those changing priorities and overall prioritization in general? So those are more of our challenges today. Okay, thank you. And uh, you know to set, to set the agenda. So could you please explain what is uh, the major uh, uh, product and services that you provide uh, so that we can uh, 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 discuss you know, in more details how it is uh, actually done and developed. Great, absolutely. So at Greenfire, we, um, our focus is to uh, speed up the process uh, and uh, ensure higher quality into payment execution uh, for subjects and patients within a clinical trial as well as doctors, physicians, and sites. So we have two distinct different products um, that both help the clinical trial process to allow those clinical, uh, clinical um, uh, networks to focus on seeing the patients and spending their time on improving the, the patient's lives rather than on uh, administrative tasks. So our ClinCard product is uh, uh, performs couple different functions. One is assisting with travel uh, of patients and their caregivers to the clinical trial site. Um, that is a, a critical component as our as clinical trials become more and more specialized and providing that ability to travel, stay, and support the overall arching uh, support services of travel. Uh, being at a clinical trial, uh, we help that process. And the second thing is that we actually um, uh, facilitate the payment and reimbursement to subjects participating in a clinical trial. Either it could be a direct deposit, it could be, um, which is most likely used as our reimbursable infant issue debit card to allow subjects to um, and patients to receive their stipends and payments by the time they walk out of the of the site before they hit the parking lot, as I always say, as, and allows them to utilize that money as cash, whether it's go to a, an ATM and withdraw the money or go to a store and utilize that. It's their money, it's their cash. They can use it any way they want. So really uh, improving that process uh, and uh, reducing a lot of different things. You know, you don't keep cash in the, uh, in the office, uh, reduces the process of going down the hall and trying to get a check. Um, it also in incorporates uh, reducing fraud um, and it also gives a reporting capabilities for both the site and, and for the sponsor. Um, but our second product is eClinical GPS, where we are creating automation to uh, the ability for sites to be paid faster. One of the biggest challenges is cash flow for a site. And with our eClinical GPS application, we uh, are able to utilize our control center module where all contracts are loaded into our system. And we take data feeds from our sponsors, uh, uh, you know, EDC or uh, IRT or other data sources, and match those up and create payment line items for all the different activities that they uh, are performing uh, with the subjects on behalf uh, within the clinical trial. We're then able to wrap it up in a, in a, a compliant invoice. We're able to handle. Uh, you know, multiple different country regulations where they must be producing invoice and that invoice is uploaded into our system and matched to the payment line items. Um, and then we're able to execute payments globally 
uh, VRR technology and really produce uh, significant reporting and uh, accruals and, and uh, aggregated information within our uh, our data warehouse once those payments have been executed to help with the with the future planning of our next trial. So that a uh, high level is uh, is what we patients. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So that's great. And uh, you know to support the. Uh, the sustainable development of your uh, software product, you, you definitely need to establish an efficient uh, team, an efficient software development team. And uh, it is interesting to learn more about what's your approach in building the efficient software development team. So, you know, how you structure the team, how it is changed during last years, uh, taking into account that you mentioned that the team uh, has grown, you know, from a few developers to like a couple of dozens of developers. So how you structure the team, how you, you know, uh, select people for your team, how you, what, 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 what the like, criteria uh, to hire the right uh, developers and engineers for your team. So could you please describe in more detail? Yeah, so, so it's called, uh, yeah, and obviously my organizational chart looks much different today than it did seven years ago, um, but, uh, for me, right now, what's key is, is you know, my management team uh, and empowering them and putting the right people in place to support that, um, that have a combination of management skills as well as technical skills. Um, so uh, running the architecture department or running the, the development department or the support or infrastructure and security departments, all those things that are key. Um, building up my team, uh, my management team has been a, a critical focus for me over the last couple of years. Now, from a overarching, you know, um, uh, principles of hiring that I like to use when bringing on engineers, or really, you know, specifically engineers, but really any role um, uh, that is non-management, um, I kind of look for a couple different things. One is that the um, ability to learn. You know, what is their ability to learn? Um, maybe they don't know our languages or our stack yet, but do we think they could, right? Show me the evidence that they have, whether it's via schooling, or there's other roles they've had, have they shown the initiative to learn? Then two is the ability, the, you know, the ability to learn, but the second is their desire to learn. What is their desire? Do they have a strong, you know, running engine where they wanna go out and they wanna figure things out, right? Those are the two key aspects of what I look for from an engineer's perspective, because if you have the ability to learn and the desire to learn, you're gonna be successful. Um, so uh, those are the typical attributes that I look for initially uh, while talking uh, and hiring different engineering uh, roles within, within my team. Okay, thank you. And uh, so uh, back to this, you know, the structure of the team and how it is related to the development processes that you have. I mean, do you have, uh, you know, do, do you apply something like scale the agile approach or not, or like scrum of scrum, or what is, what is this at the moment? Or maybe like CI CD uh, approach, uh, what's, what's your CI CD approach uh, as well? So could you, could you right. describe, you know, how it is related, the structure of the team and the uh, software development and delivery process? Absolutely. So we are, uh, you know, lack of a better term, an agile uh, company, or uh, we utilize Scrum here. I think 
my feeling of the term agile is it's a it's a pretty vague term at this point, right? Because there's lots of different variances. Yes. Um, so I say we run Scrum here. Uh, how do we define Scrum Agile here? We have development teams that are made up of three to four developers. Um, we have a SQA a resource or a tester dedicated to each Scrum team. Um, we do two-week sprints. We do uh, you know, typically uh, grooming sessions every in advance of every sprint. We do a showcase at the end of every sprint where we'll bring in all the Scrum teams for that product and we'll do a, a showcase where we'll show all the things that are completed. Um, what I find is very important is the transparency or the results of each one of those things, each one of those sprints, not only in the showcase or demo, but also in a what I call an S2 report or um, the summary of all those uh, activities, all those scrum teams at a, to then produced uh, for trending analysis and also to the, the management team, executive management team for a summary. How are we doing? How are we doing to plan? How are we doing to based on our baselines and our KPIs? What was good? What was bad? What are the impediments? To make sure that we, everybody knows what was good, what was not so good, what the impediments and what we're doing about it, right? The more transparency you have in terms of that, the less surprises you have, the less surprises is always beneficial, right? Um, but it just shows you how you're doing and it, and it calls out the uh, impediments. And when you call out impediments, you're much more likely to resolve them and be able to move forward. Um, we do have multiple scrum masters here and I do feel the scrum masters are very critical in the role not to run a meeting or to, you know, making sure that the 15 minute stand up happens every day but more to be as a coach, right? We, we ask our scrum masters to be more than just coaches. We ask them to come up with new ideas, push the team and have them think in a different way. Um, so uh, I do ask a lot of them and I think that's, a, that's an extremely important role uh, within our organization. All right, thank you. And uh, so my, my next question is uh, about you know, technological stack and architecture. So it's uh, very important, uh, you know, to select the right uh, technologies to implement your software product and the right architecture, you know, depending on how fast you want to be on the market. And uh, also from one hand, from the other hand, you want to be like, you, you want to develop like scalable solution, secure solution. So and there are many different other factors that you need to take into account. So actually, um, What's your what's your uh, experience uh, specifically for uh, for green uh, green fire and uh, is there any difference you know selecting technologies and architecture you know, for the for the payment system like for the fintech product or and you know in, in uh, comparing to maybe a solutions that you worked on on which you worked previously so could you please uh, tell us some some of your uh, opinion here. Sure. So, um, you know, we have two different products and some of the stack is similar, but a couple of years ago we started diverting one of the products to utilize more of microservices for larger scale as that, pro that product is just, uh, is used more on a day-to-day -day basis and that's ClinCard. Well, clinical GPS is used more on a batch process, whether it's maybe you go in there once a day for 45 minutes or you perform a certain task and you leave. Well, ClinCard, you can be in there all day. Um, so it's a, it's a much different application. To ensure we scaled properly, we moved our ClinCard product to more of a microservices uh, structure. 
um, which overall has been very successful in terms of adding those capabilities and allowing us to scale. But the underarching general stack has remained the same in terms of our uh, in terms of our you know language and, and things like that. Um, but I think what we've learned over the last couple of years, or what I've learned over the last couple of years, is the importance of talk of working with a, a product and uh, the teams working together to make sure that product health is continuously being evaluated uh, and inserted into the roadmap. And I will call uh, the things I would put under the product health, or some people call it product hygiene, um, is scalability. Uh, uh, it is um, stack upgrades. It is all the different things we need to make sure that the product continues to work the way our clients expect it to work. Uh, it, it is uh, ensuring that we're doing all the right things to live up to our certifications, whether it's ISO, whether it's PCI, whether it's SOC 2, all those things are product health. And we have to spend a significant portion, meaning greater than 20% of our innovation time, making sure we're doing all the right things to support the product health. And that is a thing that you know uh, I've definitely identified over the last three or four years that of, of making sure that that is always a continuous focus and a push for me uh, as a as an organization and a product. All right, thank you. And uh, you know, in relation to this previous uh, question, I, th I I guess that you know during. Uh, these several years, uh, the product and uh, the software architecture evolved, and as you mentioned, you're uh, moving towards and uh, move toward the microservices. But probably at the beginning, it was more like uh, like a monolithic application, probably. But uh, so the question actually is: uh, um, so typically, we see that during years, you need to do uh, sometimes you need to do like reengineering or rearchitecting of your system. And uh, specifically, when you have some technical debt and you need to, you know, refactor, re engineer, re-architect a, a system at, at some point of time. So, could you tell us what's your experience here? So, how you do this? What's your strategy of uh, re-architecting the, the system? Also, taking into account, you know, that when you do this and you need to invest some some budget, some effort, but you don't deliver business functionality during. Uh, I mean. Uh, when you do this uh, technical depth elimination and rearchitect and the system, so what's your what what was your typical stra strategy here when you when you need you know like to update your architecture, update your technologies, eliminate technical depth, do the reengineering? Yeah, so um, I think for us, just like every organization, that's a challenge, right? Um, stopping development for no new no new uh, feature deployments for you know, six, nine, 12, 18 months, that's a hard pill to swallow for any business. Um, but at time to time, you need to do that. Um, and uh, the important aspect of it is, you know, what what is the cost of not doing it, right? Um, that is an important question to be talking about. Understanding if there is any parallel development that can be done during that time that uh, to release whether it's small incremental improvements, which we have a labs team dedicated to small incremental improvements to our system that either remove manual processes that add, you know, reduce uh, support calls to our help desk or uh, whatever it might be. How can you minimize the impact of doing these large re-architectural projects? And I've had some that have gone well, and I have some that 
haven't gone quite as well um, and learning from that. Um, and, you know, the, the lessons that I've learned from these things is getting in front of it early, you know, really validating, is this a, is this a really needed architecture change or is this a, a nice to have, right? And what's the cost of not doing it? Because every engineer kind of wants to move to the newest and greatest and um, balancing what we need to do versus what we want to do. Okay, thank you. And uh, the next question is about, so actually it's about like, uh, how do you optimize the budget, but uh, more, you know, uh, more specifically, uh, so you probably have, I mean, every city have some, has some budget that you need to allocate and you need to deliver the uh, product and features. And actually the uh, question about, a uh, question is, how do you evaluate that your budget is uh, allocated efficiently, that you know, you're getting what you want from your budget, that you know, you're not losing it? So what's, uh, what's, you know, what's your approach on that? Yeah, um, so you know, balance, you know, budget, um, everybody has a budget, <laughs> absolutely. And if you wanna go outside that budget, you need to have clear justification just like any other organizations. But um, you know, some years you're gonna have higher capital innovation budget. Um, but you know, what I look at a budget is that you know, you know what do you, what's the return on it, right? Are you gonna increase velocity by 10% if you if we you know add one developer to each scrum team, or do you want to create, or if the business wants you know more things done, well, maybe you bring on a parallel scrum team. So understanding you know the cost and the benefits, but you know, one of the things that, you know, we're looking at now is how to improve our CI and CD, right? To allow that streamlined process to happen. Because I think that's, rather than bringing on more people, what can we do with our current process uh, to improve that? And what tools are needed? Because, you know, there's a lot of different things that uh, from a process improvement we've already implemented, but now I think we need to complement it with some tools. Um, and the automated testing, um, and continuous integration and continuous deployments is where, where we see uh, the most optimal um, benefit uh, to uh, budgetary items at this time. Uh, so that's a focus of us, of ours right now, um, and looking at different, different items there. Um, and uh, that's where I see for this year's budget or in the, in the short term, where we see a, a lot of value in to removing manual processes, and streamlining our and streamlining um, our integration and deployments. So, okay, and uh, can you tell us uh, maybe a few things that you have done to optimize the CI/CD process during last year? So, what was what what things were successfully done? You know, if you can some practical things. Sure. So it's a work in progress right now. So we're we're looking at that. We're from a, a automated testing perspective, we're look, we've uh, you know created what we call a smoke uh, smoke test suite of hey every small deployment we make we can run these 10 to 15 tests uh, in advance of any small changes to you know uh, things like that. So uh, and what our focus right now is what can we do to create a full end-to-end -end testing to allow our SQAs to be more exploratory rather than you know, manual tests going through. So that's part of our progress. 
but the continuous integration, whether we're using Jenkins and Docker, or we're looking at these different tools, how can we do it? How does that fit into our microservices strategy because of the disparate code base? Um, one of the things that our microservices um, strategy has created is allowed us to do deployments at almost any time rather than just waiting for off hours, which has been extremely helpful to allow uh, to, to do that. But now we want to take it the next step of, hey, how can we be doing this, this continuous integration and, and deployments even more often as uh, stale code is always been a challenge for us, and especially on our larger projects. And uh, we've been doing some dark releases for uh, and uh, for some of our larger products, get it out there and make sure it's not causing any other problems. But really what we want to do is we want to be doing continuous deployments with that code to prevent the need for larger releases where you're coming in on a weekend, you're taking the system down for six hours, and you're doing deployments and testing. Really want to get away from that. All right, that's great, thank you. So let's talk a little bit about the security, and which is certainly very important for any system dealing with payment processing. You know, first, could, could, you, could you tell us uh, what formal certifications have you done uh, for your product and maybe tell us uh, what the most important things we need to do, you know, to prepare for these uh, certifications, you know, from the technical perspective, from the organizational perspective, maybe from the people perspective? Sure. So um, from a people perspective, having people dedicated to this being their role, right? And being very collaborative across not only from an infrastructure, but also from a development perspective. Um, you know, what we I have found valuable is bringing in experts to assist, doing externals, uh, external due diligence. Uh, annual um, external scans and uh, penetration tests and consulting, um, help you know doing evaluation of our processes and procedures, you know getting best practices and doing that every year, right? So things change very very quickly in the world of security, and it's not just within the application, but it's also within your email system or your whatever uh, that's happening or phishing attacks or um, your awareness from a from a malware perspective. So it's you know, it's your PC, it's your processes that, hey, whenever, uh, you know, the, the phishing emails is a, is a great example of, it has nothing to do with our product whatsoever, but it's any way for outside uh, external sources to learn more about what you're doing and what you're doing and is there a potential to, to impact that. So um, security is the, uh, the, the ultimate term of an onion and you're continuously adding layers and layers um, and uh, making sure you have people dedicated to that role to be uh, looking at those different aspects. And then it's uh, the training, the internal training of the, uh, of the all employees, you know, uh, of their best practices, what they need to go to and what they need to be thinking of when they get an email or uh, things like that. So, um, as I say, everybody's in charge of security, right? We, we, uh, whether it's accidental or on purpose, everybody's in charge of it and we all play a role in that. Uh, so, um, we do have multiple certifications, you know, ISO 27001 and SOC 2 and others, um, which helps put in the best practices. And what's uh, really what that uh, for us was is that um, not only allowed us to put the best practices, but continuously doing those things uh, week in, week out uh, to ensure that our application can be as secure as possible. 
Okay, thank you. And uh, what what could you name like the major threats for the payment solutions? I mean, overall from your experience. Could could you repeat that question for me? Yeah. So actually, you 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 have mentioned that uh, uh, you know a couple of uh, threats that you can have. Uh, so maybe can can you name a number of major threats that you can have for your system? What parts of the system is most vulnerable? What, well, I mean, you know, I, I mean, security like what, is no. What the most? Yeah, sorry, go ahead. What the most important that you need to take into account, actually? So that that's a tough question. Uh, you know, security as a whole is very just very important, uh, and everything we do needs to make sure is that it is in a high quality, uh, secure manner. Um, you know, we, we are in a uh, fintech business, and with that, um, uh, that is a, a high-level responsibility, and we take that responsibility very seriously. Um, and we will continuously uh, evaluate and uh, update and uh, any security processes and technology tools that we need to, to make sure that our client data is secure. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So let's let's talk a bit about the integrations and apis which is a big portion of the you know of uh, maybe any fintech system because you always integrate with somebody and you provide your own apis as well and uh, you need to consume data you need to provide data and you need to make transactions so actually can can you tell us what what the major integrations uh, do you have with your system, and uh, what APIs do you provide in general, and actually also what what the major challenges you know doing this integration and also developing your own APIs? Sure. So uh, thank you. So you know how I look at integrations. Every business channel um, is different. Um, and I think business channel, basically, you know, we're working with uh, some very large organizations. And, um, and so where I would start is first we have our partners, um, and we have, uh, integrations with each one of our primary business partners. Um, and that can vary as we've built up the amount of business partners, uh, over the years. And typically those business partners we're building to their their integration endpoints because they're that's what they do for a living, and uh, so that's uh, something we've actually done. Now, in terms of our customers, we have a wide-ranging set of customers in terms of their either their interest, where they are in terms of their integrations, or what their availability of their engineering teams are. Right. So, um, some are smaller companies who don't have a significant engineering budget, and they need to. Uh, work towards uh, extracts, right? Mm -hmm. uh, some of our customers ha ha are very large and they don't want to do anything that's not API based. So we have to be able to handle um, a lot of different uh, anywhere from file to VS, FTP, whether it's a web-based API. Um, and uh, based off our customer end, we'll create our own APIs, um, but it's really based off of our customer end. I know what I would prefer to do is, you know, set a, a number of API endpoints and have everybody build towards uh, ours, 
Um, but realistically, we have to, we live in a hybrid mode where we'll have a large customer saying, hey, I already got an endpoint that all my other partners are using and pull it out of their data warehouse and we'll go to theirs. So we have to be flexible uh, with our integrations with our customers. Um, but we want it to be as automated as possible. We want it to be reusable as much as possible. Um, and anything we build is not custom to any particular customer. Um, anything we build from an API endpoint is absolutely reusable for any of our customers who choose to use it. So that's been our approach so far. It's a, uh, based off our industry, is highly um, prioritized based off of our customers' availability and needs. Okay, okay, thank you. Um, also, uh, another question I have is about the tool set that you use uh, for the development. So you already uh, told us a little bit what technological stack do you, uh, do you have, but you know, for, uh, to manage things. So what, what, what else do you use for communication purposes internally for project management, for product management? So in terms of tool sets and maybe some more specific technological, uh, uh, technological stack that you use. Yeah, so, you know, we, we have a number of different tools. Some we use just internally to IT and engineering. Some we use corporate-wide. Um, Slack is very popular right now. Uh, it just went yeah. public yesterday. Um, but Slack is extremely popular within my IT and engineering uh, department and is heavily used on a daily basis as the primary communication tool, um, which I 100% support. Uh, they feel it makes them more efficient, uh, less distracting, and, uh, and allows them to utilize that. So. Um, that is probably one of the biggest used communication tools. We use a lot of other tools, um, you know, from a, you know, Jira and overall Confluence and, um, you know, AHA from a, a product backlog perspective. Uh, we're very much embedded with Jira as our uh, agile tool uh, from a sprints perspective and a bug tracking perspective and everything like that. So that is something I brought in about seven years ago and it's been, you know, it's a, uh, we continue to utilize it on a daily basis, and it's a it's a it's an integral tool uh, for us. And we've created a lot of integrations with that to our other tools, whether it's our code repository to allow us to know what check-ins are being done and are part of which branch and approvals processes for releases, um, uh, uh, as well as requirements uh, uh, to allow us to track all requirements in case we need to go back and pass and see why and what was done and what was related to an overall epic. So um, those have kind of been our primary SDLC uh, tools that we can use. Okay, thank you. So, and also another question is about the uh, collaboration between product uh, team and engineering team. And it's very important to establish now efficient collaboration to deliver really uh, quality product. So actually, what's, what's your experience and uh, what's your opinion how to establish this efficient collaboration between product team and engineering team? Because product team, they want to add more and more features, but engineering team want to deliver the high quality, maybe a little bit uh, slower. So what's, what's your uh, yeah. experience here? That's right. So, um, well, I mean, um, I think you hit it on the head, right? As a um, you know, a general perspective that I think you're right. And that's a, a product's perspective. It's what is the new feature that our customer wants and the value that it will add to our product. 
where engineering will often be a little more conservative or want to do more product health or scale or you know enhance existing capabilities. Um, so it's uh, that's always always a challenge in any organization, um, but it's um, part of what we try to do is inform product, making sure that they have the information that we have in terms of hey the product health items, what what the what the cost of not doing those things would be, so that we can make them advocates for those things just as much as the new next feature. Um, also, uh, one of the things that we've done recently is that from a management perspective of product management and IT and engineering management, talking on a bi-weekly basis of what our challenges are, anything new. But what we're now trying to move towards is um, SDLC continuous improvement workshops. Uh, whether that's managed by us or managed by a, a certified, you know, agile coach, where we can pick a particular part of our SDLC and what we should do to improve it. Um, and whether that's product health, whether that's estimation process, whether that's the right level of details from a, from a product perspective, whether it's a, um, how do we start um, development earlier while UX is still going on and while you're still getting feedback from the customer, how do we get started? Lots of different things that we feel we can, as a team, do better together. Um, so we both have a perspective that each other has, right? Often enough, the reason why there's conflict between IT engineering and products is they don't have a perspective of what each other's roles are, responsibilities are, and goals are. But if you, if you create that collaboration across the team, uh, and create that, there's respect, there's understanding, and ultimately um, it informs product more to make uh, educated, uh, a, a larger data set for product to make recommendations in terms of roadmap prioritization. All right, thank you. So I have a few more questions. Um, uh, so actually the next question is about the trends in the payments uh, in the payment industry. So could you, could you tell us what, what do you think, what are the major trends that, uh, uh, that are related to your product and you know, maybe something related to like machine learning or not, or maybe blockchain or maybe some other things uh, that you would like to implement you know, in coming year or so? Yeah. Related to this I mean, trend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the way I view blockchain at this point is it's still in the pretty early stages for the industry that we're in. And, um, and uh, not heavily used in terms of uh, practice in our industry. Um, our industry is tend to, tends to be a little conservative. So it's something that I continue to monitor um, while we don't have any uh, immediate plans. It just, it, you know, it's an evolving technology and, uh, and it's an innovation. Now, from a machine learning AI perspective, you know, it's a continuation of our data warehouse, our aggregation, our uh, what can we do to utilize our data more? And like every organization, that is uh, something that's very important to us and that's a huge opportunity for us. So we continue to look at the best way to utilize our data for the for our customers. It's their, their data and we want to make it uh, and create opportunities to inform them to make the best decisions around clinical trials uh, and future clinical trials to you know reduce the burden of our study coordinators and, and sites to allow them to see and uh, give the best patient care possible. All right, okay. So um, 
the next question is, you know, as a technological leader, you need to uh, focus on many different things. And actually, the question is, what about uh, what what time management techniques do you use? How you split your time between different tasks? Um, so, what's what's your experience here? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, time management, like everybody else, is a is a challenge, right? Um, you can easily be in meetings from you know eight to six if you let yourself be in meetings. So you know part of my initiative over the last couple of years is to build out a management team, which I talked about a little bit more, to empower them to take more and more ownership and roles and responsibilities uh, without without me. Um, you know they're smart, you know uh, great uh, management uh, team members, and to empower them to to, to continue to push forward. Uh, and so allowing me to, which is what I should be doing, is to be a bit more strategic. Um, not That doesn't mean I'm le um, just cutting the line and, and heading somewhere else. It just means that it, it's a progression, right? Um, but showing the confidence in my management team that I have confidence in them and empowering them is a, is a clear, a critical item for me to be doing at all times. Um, to allow uh, myself to think about those strategy items and uh, to clear my calendar to, you know, be talking to customers more, to be talking to other uh, industry leaders or other technologists, or to be working with product on the, from a strategic view uh, of, uh, of what we be doing in the next two years. Um, all those different things are, are really important. Um, and that helps, uh, what I would say is helps build the confidence with myself doing that, it builds confidence in my management team and it builds confidence in my entire engineering team that they are empowered to make and do different things. Um, and uh, with that, you know, it's also important to me to be in contact or have a regular interactions with everybody in my team as much as possible, whether it's my monthly managers meeting or IT, all managers meeting with an IT that I do make sure that they understand they're updated from the entire business perspective or it's just you know in the morning catching a cup of coffee with the, one of the engineers to understand how they're feeling or what's going on with them or it's what we try to do is quarterly events with the entire IT organization where we do a, a barbecue at my house once a quarter or we go you know axe throwing once a quarter or we do things together as a team um, those are all things that bring the team together um, and helps us to be better you know corporate citizens to each other as we can as we as as the days go on okay great thank you so we have scheduled for 45 minutes do you have like five minutes or so or i got i have five more minutes absolutely okay got it so uh actually another question is about the uh learning process uh so how do you learn and how do you enforce your team to learn is it like reading books maybe attending conferences, workshops, or some other techniques, or so what works for sure. you uh, the best? Well, so what, yeah, everybody learns a different way. You know, it's one of the things um, I'm, you know, I'm not, so how do I like, I like reading a lot, um, you know, about business in general, about some technologies, whether it's cutting edge or it's things that are being more widely adopted. Um, I have a, every couple months I get together with a few other CTOs that are friends of mine and 
uh, I learn from them as they have different skills skills that I have and um, and I hear different perspectives often enough some similar challenges but I do hear different perspectives so that really helps me um, but one of the things that I tell you know my I my management team is building relationships with your peers is critical to allow you to have bounce ideas off of and, and uh, understand what they're going through versus what you're going through um, uh, to help them make better decisions. There's nothing worse than being a, a new IT or new manager in general and feeling alone and, and not knowing how to uh, best ways of handling different situations because you're exposed to new challenges every day. So building relationships with your peers is a, a critical uh, aspect of becoming a, a manager. But in terms of just general overall training, you know, we have an onboarding process. We've we started to utilize uh, online training uh, capabilities where we have a certain set of uh, uh, a large set of different trainings. But what has to go along with that is then the dedication of time for each of those engineers to say you get, you know, 10 hours a month or whatever it is to say, you know, and, uh, here it is to do those trainings and learn from it, give them the opportunity and, and push them and empower them to use it. Because every, like everybody else, we have full days, right? And so unless you actually carve out that time to say, this is your time, go do that, um, it, it, it's not going to be worthwhile. Uh, conferences, uh, you know, everybody has a different feel of conferences. Some of them are, are good. Some of them are, you know, there's a, a, what are you trying to, what are you trying to get out of that? You're trying to make you know, some network connections and trying to understand some new trends. Um, so I think from a conference perspective, I'm pretty, I'm kind of picky about conferences. Some are really good and I encourage my team members to go. And some of them, I feel like, you know what, there's better use of your time of, from your career development or education perspective. So a lot of times I get feedback from my team, what, what is helpful to them? What, what is uh, most beneficial to them, the best way to them to learn? Okay, thank you. So the last question is, so what the most, uh, what, what is the most interesting part of your job? What motivates you the, be, uh, the most? Uh, and uh, from the other hand, what is the most boring part of your job? Oh, well, let's say, what do I enjoy the most? So um, I think that's the easiest one for me. I love and enjoy being a part of something that's growing and adding value to the lives of so many different people, as well as being a part and seeing the growth of so many of members of my team, right? Nothing gives me more pleasure than seeing a, a member of my team make a presentation for what they've been able to accomplish over the last two months or building a new feature or seeing them grow or get promoted or having new opportunities. I absolutely love seeing that career development of the people on my team. And to think that I am a part of uh, a company that is growing so fast and adding so many value and making a difference in people's lives. That's what gets me up in the morning. And that's uh, why I'm here in this organization. That's why I joined this organization. But that's what continues to motivate me. Now, the third thing that motivates me is learning. You know, I learn every single day. Uh, I learn about different things, different techniques, different ways to handle a problem, learning from the people around me uh, and them pushing me to, uh, to grow as well as a leader is uh, something that I absolutely do every day and continue to enjoy. What's the hardest part of my job? Um, you know, it's the, you know, you don't know what's next, right? <laughs> so it's the, 
the challenges of a growing company. What makes it a lot of fun also makes it makes it hard, right? There is changing priorities. There is a new challenge of the day or the week or the month. Um, but our job is to be able to handle that and handle that in the most educated way possible. Learn about our different options and make the, the most the best decision for the organization pushing forward. But um, yeah, what makes it fun makes it hard. But that's why that's why we do it.